let me welcome you to Crossroads. We are in the third week of our series, The Social Dilemma, where we have been looking at the power of media and more importantly, the power of social media in our lives because most everybody in this room carries one of these things with you about 24-7. I mean, you are constantly having one of these things because I used to be able to have conversations with you. Now I can't because your face is buried in the screen. You won't even look at me. So anyway, we just want to understand that the power that these things actually have is not really just to inform us, but it's really to influence. Because every day you're bombarded with text messages, with email, with advertisements, with different things from different apps. And again, their goal is to influence you, not just to inform you. Social media is impacting the way that we think about ourselves. It's impacting the way that we think about other people. And it's even impacting the way that we think about God. Honestly, there are apps out there that are trying to change the way that you think about yourself, about others, and even change your theology. Theology, we've said the last couple of weeks, is really our God thoughts. It's what we actually think about God. So today we're going to do something a little different. We're going to go to the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, if you want to go ahead and turn there. If you don't turn there, that's okay. Uh, We're going to have it on the screen behind me. And we're going to actually look at some words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, here's what is actually recorded, the words of Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Here's what it says. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, but I tell you, let's, can we say it together? But I tell you, let's say it again, but I tell you that anyone who is angry, oh, you got my parking place. But anybody who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to the same judgment. Now that's powerful and a little mystifying at the same time. Look at verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, let's say it again, but I tell you that anybody who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Men, look at me, look at me, look at me. Don't look to the side, look at me. Stay here and you will not lust, okay? I'm telling you, just look at me. Look at verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Here we go again. Let's do it again. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So these are the words of Jesus. And in the words that you saw and that we read together, we have to understand that what Jesus is doing is is setting a standard. And not just a standard, Jesus is setting a really high standard for us. Jesus is saying is, wait, you're over here living your life and you're doing life and you're kind of used to this standard and you've kind of thought this standard was okay. But I'm here to tell you that there's another standard. I mean, think about that thing, adultery. If you even look at a woman lustfully. I mean, I'm just going to tell you, don't go to the public square on a hot day. It ain't about what they got on, it's about what they ain't got on. And and, and let me tell you, I'm I'm not here to make you feel guilty or to put shame on you because that's not who we are. We are not a church who is going to make you feel guilty for something that you've done. We're not going to to unload shame on you. But what we're seeing in the words of Jesus is there's a tendency for you to think that that Jesus is trying to make it harder, that Jesus is trying to push you away. But really, in reality, the words of Jesus are trying to draw us closer to him. There's a standard out here. You've been living this standard, but now you've got to understand there's this other standard. And what he's trying to show us, now listen, 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 listen is that you can't do this without him. He's trying to tell you that he wants you to understand that you can't live life without him. 
Jesus is trying to get us to a place that we will not look at other people and how they live their lives. And at the very same time, we shouldn't be living our life according to the standards of the world. He's calling us, he's really showing us that there is a standard, and to understand that, we have to understand that as followers of Jesus, we've been called to live a reflection of his kingdom. But I tell you, but I tell you, but I tell you, it's a reflection of the kingdom. You're not called, Embry's not called, Evie's not called to live a reflection of this world. And if we're going to be the people he's called us to be, he's trying to help us understand. You're going to need his grace and his strength and his power to be able to do that. You can't do it on your own or you would not need him. So here we have Jesus painting a picture. This is what I love about Jesus. Painting a picture for his audience to see and to understand. And you say, well, that was, that was the picture he was trying to paint back in the day. So what about our day? I'm, I'm going to give you a picture of what he's kind of saying in our day. Let me, let me ask you a question. I know most of us in here, some of you are not. But most of us are on social media. Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook. You know, all the things. And I was looking on Facebook this past week. And I saw somebody that I know who was in Florida. And they were on vacation. And they were posting up pictures. I mean, you know, here, here's the thing. When you go on vacation, you use whatever social media app that you prefer. Mine's Instagram. That's what I like. And you kind of want to tell people what you're doing. Now, mine's a little different. And you, if you know me, you understand that. I just use sarcastic stuff to be fun. That's just it because, I mean, you know, I do this and then I just want to have a little fun too. So, I mean, I'll post up crazy stuff. Like yesterday, I posted up a picture of this man driving a tractor without a front wheel and this lady on the back side of the tractor holding, you know, and I said, a good woman brings balance to your life. You know what I'm saying? So, that the, you know, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the kind of stuff I post. I, if you're looking for scripture on my Instagram, you're not going to get it. I'm going to deliver that to you on the Crossroads page or, or here on Sunday morning. I just want to, you know, you know, I don't want to say it. Girls just want to have fun, but boys just want to have fun too. You know what I'm saying? But it's really interesting. I was looking on these people and their, and their thread, and they're posting up pictures of what they're eating. I used to do that. That's so 2020, okay? So anyway. But they're posting up pictures of what they're eating and what they're drinking and all this kind of stuff. And in the comments, somebody writes, wow, must be great to have a vacation. I haven't had a vacation in like 10 years. I'm like, man, they're just trying to bring a little light, a little lightness to the world by showing people what they're doing. They're celebrating the fact that they're able to get away with their family and show people what they're doing. And here comes a hater hating them for going on vacation. A friend, an ex-friend now in my book, you know what I'm saying? I'm just trying to celebrate my family and my time off, and here you come raining on my parade. And the natural tendency is I'm going to go Brian Adams on you when you get ugly with me. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to cut you like a knife. You know what I'm saying? I'm going Brian Adams. I'm going to cut you upside and one down the other. God, give me the words. I need the words to say to get back at this person for what they said to me. I'm going to cut them like a knife. I'm going to let them know that I'm better than them. I'm going to post it right there so everybody can see it. You know what I'm talking about. But Jesus comes along and said, but I tell you, Randy, there's another way. That's the way the world does things. But there's another way. See, it's, it's so easy for us in this day and age in this culture. Listen, 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 listen. We live in a culture right now where a person makes one mistake and it becomes very public very quickly. Am I right? You make one mistake and it becomes very public very quickly. It happens fast. And there's this tendency that the moment a person makes a mistake in their life, 
that we just naturally want to do what the culture wants to do, and we want to cancel them because we live in a cancel culture. You made a mistake, you're dead to me. We cancel them. And then we try to do everything we want in our power to destroy that person's life. I mean, think about it. I don't care whether you're Fox, CNN, whoever you are, news, news apps, whatever it is. Those different online sources will go when somebody makes a mistake. They will go into that person's life. They will go into the archives of that life and pull something out and expose that in front of everybody. Something they did when they were 16. I mean, I was talking to one of the people in the band room, and I said, hey, did you meet so-and-so? And, I, and they said, yeah. And I said, well, did he tell you the story? It was a story about me before I was doing this. And, of course, the guy told him the story about something I did that wasn't necessarily flattering. But, see, that's what people do. They'll, they'll go back and dig something up. That wasn't necessarily, I mean, that wasn't in the context, but it was just, you know, evidence of, I mean, I got some stuff, too. And I'd like you don't want people going back to when I was 16 in high school and telling you everything I said or showing you everything that I did. I mean, think about it. Do you want somebody doing that to you? But that's the culture we live in. Because listen to me, Crossroads, we take this, we're okay with taking the shortcomings of other people. We're okay with taking the mistakes that people made years ago and we drag those out into the public and we all get together and we gang on them and we hold those things against them. And we don't give them the opportunity to ever be the person that God has called them to be. But the kingdom of God is different. But I tell you, the way of Jesus is different. See, I love what Jesus does because what our Savior does is he gives new opportunities to people who have made old decisions. Come on now. He gives new opportunity to people who have made bad decisions. And you know what he does? He keeps restoring and he keeps restoring and he keeps restoring. And you know what? You go out this week and you mess up, you blow it, you, you, you screw it all up. And you know what he does? He says, just come on back. I'm going to be waiting for you. I'm going to be waiting here with my arms open, even though you messed up. As a matter of fact, I, I'm going to continuously pursue you. Even though you're going to go out this week and you're going to mess it up. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at a story from the Old Testament. And then we're going to balance that story out with the New Testament. And when we look at these in just a moment, these verses, we're not going to read every verse, but we're going to pick out particular verses from the stories. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 9. The verses are 1 through 13. We're not going to read them all. You can go there this afternoon or in your quiet time, you can look at them there. But here's what we're going to look at, this verse right here. David asked, this is David of David and Goliath. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom, I can, who, to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, David, again, is David and Goliath. David is the king. He was a friend of Jonathan who was the son of King Saul. And so you know and so you understand the context of the story David is now in the position that Jonathan should have had, but King Saul and his son Jonathan were both killed. And David was handpicked by God to be the king. And at this point in the story, we have to understand Jonathan's dead, Saul is dead, the old king has died. And what you have to understand and know is that anytime a new king came to power, it was the practice, the way of the new king to kill everybody that was kin or in the lineage of the old king. I mean, as long as they were in power, you were good. When they went out of power, they were looking for your head. And that's just the way it worked. It's like the movies. Tell them you'll be with them in a moment. So think about this. David is sitting here on his throne. He's the king, God-picked, hand-picked. And he's now thinking, you know, is there anyone 
from the line of Saul. Is there anyone from the lineage of the old king that I can show kindness to? I don't want to kill them. I don't want to cancel them. I just want to show kindness to them. Because there was a way that kings did things. They always killed people. And then here comes David. And David makes a decision, you know, I'm going to do things in a different way. And then comes one of his servants named Zibia. If, hey, parents, if you're looking for a kid's name, that's a great name, Zibia. Zibia comes along and says, hey, David, there is someone, I do know somebody, his name is Mephibosheth. And he lives down in Lodibar. Don't you love the Bible? See, we think about Lodabar, and we don't think about Lodabar meaning anything. You know what Lodabar actually means? It means nowhere. I mean, here's somebody who's kin to Saul, the lineage of Saul, who's living in nowhere, a ghetto. The Bible kind of refers to it as a ghetto. It's kind of thought to be a ghetto. Mephibosheth. He's living in Lodabar. And David the king is interested in finding him, not to do what every other king would do, but to do something different. To show kindness to him. Because if, if, if you go to 2 Samuel chapter 4, maybe this afternoon, this week in your quiet time, you can read the story of Mephibosheth. Because the story is this. The, the nurse was, I'm going to give you kind of a cliff notes. The, the, the nurse was carrying Mephibosheth when she heard that Saul had been killed and Jonathan had been killed. She scooped him up and she ran with him. And in trying to get away so that Mephibosheth would not be killed, she dropped him. And when she dropped him, he's injured. Think about this. At five years old. Mephibosheth is injured. He's disabled. I mean, he goes from being a five-year-old boy who's just like every other five-year-old boy playing with monster trucks, you know, all that kind of stuff, to being dropped. And the moment he was dropped, listen, listen, Crossroads, it changed everything forever. And you know, when I read this story, it made me think. I just wonder sometimes if you and I have forgotten what other people have had to go through in life. Think about that. Have you and I just forgotten that real people go through real problems? Real people go through real pain? Real people go through real struggles? See, I think it's just so easy for us to forget what other people have gone through in life. See, it's easy for you to look at another person and think because they're a certain color or they drive a certain car or they live in a certain neighborhood, they've had everything all together their entire life. But you see, it takes just one moment. Because if you'll pause for just one moment, you'll realize that some of the people that you're looking at they were dropped when they were five years old. Just like Mephibosheth. They were dropped. And in that moment, their life was changed forever. From that point on, everything about their life was changed. See, maybe she doesn't trust men Because when she was five years old, a man was mean to her. And now every time a man gets close to her, she wants to push him away. Maybe your co-worker, that the, the reason he can't stand the boss, because every boss they've had has demeaned them. 
or disrespected them. Maybe individuals are how they are, not because they just want to be nasty, but something happened to them when they were five years old. And they've been walking through life with a limp. And they didn't want that limp. But they've been walking through life with a limp. And they wish they didn't have the limp. But they've got it. And they're just walking and living life with that limp. And it just makes me wonder. How many kings are out there in our culture today who will be like David? How many kings are out there right now in this society who will be like our King Jesus and say, I'm coming for you, I'm coming for you, and I'm not coming to cancel you, but I'm coming so that I can bring kindness to you. So David hears about Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth hears that David is looking for him. And you just have to know that he knows he's going to kill him because that's what kings did. And it's really interesting. David sends for Mephibosheth. And it's the custom of the king to kill off everybody associated with the old king. I want to read, it's not going to be on the screen, 2 Samuel 9, verse 6. It says this. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David. Remember, David sent for him. He came to David. He bowed down to pay him honor, to pay honor to the king, King David. And David said, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth replied, at your service. But look at what the scripture says on the screen. Don't be afraid, David said to him. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Jonathan and David were the best of friends. I will restore you to all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. Saul was the father of Jonathan. And you will, look at what it says, you will always eat at my table. David says to Mephibosheth, you're always going to have a place at my table. You're always going to eat at my table. And and, and you know what Mephibosheth does not say back? Well, I deserve it. By time, I've been living over here in the ghetto. I've been living over here in Lodabar. I mean, it's about time. I mean, it's about time you made room for me at the table. You've been over here being all kingly, and I'm over here, and you just forgot about me. It doesn't say that. Look at verse, the next verse. Mephibosheth bowed down and said to King David, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me. What, what is your servant that you would notice me and want to be kind to me? See, if there's anything that I have come to understand, people are mean on social media. Amen? Amen? Amen. I don't care what, whether you're Biden, Trump, black, white, red, blue. I don't care what you are. They're just mean. And you know what I've come to discover? People that are mean on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and all those places, they're not just mean because they want to be mean. They're mean because they don't love themselves. They're just mean because they don't love themselves. And David says to Mephibosheth, you're always going to have a seat at my table. 
I mean, think, think about this. There's always going to be a place for you at the table. And I have to wonder what the sons of David were actually thinking when they heard their father say this because they already had a place at the table. And see, if somebody new is coming to the table, that means that you're going to have to make room for somebody at the table. And see, here's what I think David represents. David represents Jesus sitting at the head of the table. And David says, I just want to show kindness. That's what Jesus says. I just want to show kindness. Jesus is sitting at the table, and we're the sons and daughters of the king, and we're sitting at the table with the king. And we're like, we're, we're just like the sons of David. We're like, well, okay, if somebody else is coming to the table, if somebody new's coming to the table, does that mean I have to move? Let me put it in church terms. Does that mean I need to serve? Does that mean I need to volunteer? Does that mean I need to give? Do I have to make room? You know what's interesting about this? There was a time when you, like me, weren't at the table. I mean, think about it. There was a time that you weren't at the table. I mean, I, mean, I was over here doing all kind of crazy stuff. I mean, I was telling some dirty jokes back in the day. I mean, I didn't really, I mean, I mean, I'm not an axe murderer or anything like that. I mean, I didn't do anything like that. But, I mean, I've said my share of uncolorful things. Dig it up. I mean, you know, dig it up. Post it. I don't care. I've had people do it before. But I was over here, and, and, and I came to the table. And you know what that meant? When I came to the table, it meant that somebody was going to have to make room so I could pull my chair up to the table. So here we have David in the scripture that we're looking at, and David is like this type and shadow of Jesus. Because Jesus says, I want to take people who have made a mistake. I want to, pay, I want to take people who have fallen and they can't get up the commercial, you know what I'm saying? I, they've fallen and they can't get up. They've made a mistake. I want to take people who have fallen and they can't get up. And I want to invite them to the table. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been maybe like at a hospital? You got to go up to the 10th floor and you're on the first floor. And you're, you're punching the elevator button, and the elevator comes up from one of the lower floors, you know, like the basement or the garage. And you're punching, and you're watching, ding, ding, ding. Oh, it's here, it's here. And the, the door opens, and it's full, just full of people. And, and you've got this big smile on your face, and, and, and you're like, I need to get in there. And, and so you're like, <laughs> and then you're like, and I'm going to tell you, I, can, I know how to empty that elevator. I tell you, okay, so it has to do right, right here. See, I, I can empty that elevator. But, but you just kind of penguin waddle your way into the, and everybody, and people are like, oh, are you kidding me? We're full. There's no room in here. And you're smiling, and you get in, and the door closes, and you go to the next floor, and the door opens again. And there's somebody standing there with a big smile on their face, and you're, you're standing there looking at them, and you're thinking, are you kidding me? Can't you see this? It's full. The elevator's full. Can't you see it? There's no space for you here. But think about it. Just one floor earlier, you were that person. And it just takes going up one floor, and you went from outsider to insider. 
it took just one floor for you to go, I'm sorry. To, are you kidding me? It just took one floor. And you know what? I, I'm thankful that on most days, Crossroads is a welcoming church. I'm not saying we're perfect. I'm not saying that at all. We have some great guest service team members. We have great volunteers. I mean, it's been tough after COVID. I'm just going to be honest with you. But we're a welcoming church. But even the fact that we're a welcoming church, I just want to tell you to be careful. Because the news media has a culture. We've been talking about it. Instagram has a culture. Facebook has a culture. Snapchat, TikTok, they all have a culture. They all have a theology that they're trying to influence you with. And the theology that they're using is, you need to understand, it's you versus them. It's you versus them. They're trying to influence you and tell you, you can't trust them. They're trying to tell you, those people out there, they're out to get you. They're trying to tell you that you're going to lose everything. But you know what Jesus told me? I already lost everything when I started following him. Right? And if I've already lost everything, and if everything in my life already belongs to him, then why don't I just go ahead and extend grace and mercy and kindness and truth in the way that he's called me to? Why don't I just make room at the table? Because here's the church I want us to be. I want to be the church that says, take my seat. You, you, you come to the table, and I'll, I'll let you have my seat. Let's be the first crossroads to say, you know what? I'll get up. I'll make way. I'll be the one that says, God, if you're going to bring them in, then I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that there's room at the table. I'm going to do everything in my power. But let me just say this. It's easy to be at the table and criticize everybody who's not at the table. Come on now. It's easy for you to have your seat at the table and criticize those people who are not at the table because here's the thing. Sometimes you just have to understand. Don't be surprised sometimes when somebody makes their way to the table that they don't know the rules of the table. They sit down at the table and they're like, oh, this is so good. I'm just going to do it right here. You know what I'm saying? They don't have manners, spiritually speaking. We talk about Matthew. They don't know who Matthew is. We talk about lifting our hands in church. They have no idea what that means. We tell them that Jesus loves us. And they can't comprehend what that truly means. But here's the thing. As followers of Jesus, we make room for them at the table. To sit at the table. We allow them to sit at the table. So that they can begin to learn what it means to be at the table. Because you're no longer some dead dog. But now you're the son or the daughter of Almighty God. And Jesus has been pursuing you your entire life. That's the Old Testament. I told you the New Testament. 
Let me give you this one too, and I, I want to make sure that we got text on both sides of this, that we're, we're not going to be canceling kinds of people, but we're going to be kind people, people who are full of kindness. We're not people who are pushing people away from the table, but we're making space at the table so that people can come to the table and be at the table with the king. Luke chapter 19. Most of you have probably heard this story. As a matter of fact, I think I referenced this just a few weeks ago. I can't even remember. I should have looked, but I didn't. Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, look, look at the description that, that is used here by Luke. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Now, again, l l leave that up there just a moment, Jay, if you will, because I want to point out some things. We, we live in this culture right now. It's all about identity. Well, in this verse, we get lots of identity words about Zacchaeus. He's wealthy. He's a tax collector. I mean, the Bible can be pretty pretty interesting. He's short. I mean, he's short. But he's interested in Jesus. See, I don't know why, but many times I think we think that it's only the poor people who are interested in Jesus. Am I right? Am I right? I mean, we think it's only the poor people, the people who need things, they're, they're the people that are interested in Jesus. But again, we see it here. It's not the case. There are a lot of people out there who are wealthy who are wondering, is there a place at the table for me? Or am I going to be judged because of my means? Is there a place at the table for me? Me too. See, so listen to what I'm saying, Crossroads. Zacchaeus had money, but he was still poor. He had wealth, but he was still lost. And Luke tells us that Zacchaeus can't see Jesus, and he can't see Jesus because of the crowd. And you know what that makes me wonder? I want you to hear me. Focus right here on me. It makes me wonder how many people are out there and they're trying to see Jesus, but they can't see Jesus because of the church. I mean, think about it. They want to see Jesus, but they can't see him because of the church. See, you think you need to post something on Instagram or Facebook or social media? But maybe when you post that, that's the reason why people can't see Jesus. It might be the first thing you think, but does it need to be the first thing that you say? Because little do you know, there's probably a Zacchaeus in your life. And they're watching what you put on Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter. And the things that you're posting are actually getting in the way of that person in your life truly seeing Jesus for who he is. All the things. Listen to me. Listen, listen, listen. The political arguments, all the hate and divisive comments. Those are the things that are getting in the way of people actually being able to see Jesus. And don't misunderstand me. I believe we need to stand up for things. I'm all about being vocal. I'm all about being vocal in politics and in business and in the world. Because I think it's necessary for us to be involved in those things. I don't think God has called us to be disconnected from the world. Not at all. But friends, listen to me what I'm saying. 
when people are trying to figure out Jesus, they're looking at us and there's nobody else coming. It's us. It's us. And I get it. I get it. I understand. You probably got anger towards some group, the red group, the blue group, the Republicans, the Democrats. You probably got anger towards some co-worker, towards a family member. And if the truth be known, you don't even want to hear their voice. You don't want to see them. And Jesus is like, okay. But if you saw them, what would you do? Would you do what I did? Look at the next verse. Because in this story, it says this. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, you come down immediately. Because I'm coming to your house today. You know what that means? I'm coming to your table. That's what Jesus said. He said, I'm coming to your table. In other words, I'm coming to your table. And when Jesus gets to the table, listen, listen. We don't, we don't know what happened. We don't know what the interaction was between Jesus and Zacchaeus. But the thing we do know is that the life of Zacchaeus was transformed. It was changed. And his life would never be the same. He goes from being lost to being found. From being blind to being able to see. He goes from wandering to being home. And here's what we need to understand. What Jesus, what our Savior did in the life of Zacchaeus is what he's called us to do. He's called us to do it in politics in business, in our schools, in medicine, in athletics, even in our universities. Because listen, what God has called us to do, that's the band-aid of the church. It's the band-aid of the church. And there's no greater honor for you and I to say, Use my life and use it for your glory. So can I just ask you here and even at home if you're watching, listening, can you just bow your heads this morning and close your eyes? And maybe this morning you've never given your heart to Jesus. And you would say right now that, you know what, Randy, if if you were to ask me, I'm not at the table. Or maybe you were at the table. But something happened and you've slipped away. Maybe you find yourself in Lodabar. And maybe right now you just need to pray. If you would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is your day. I just just want us all, again, every head bowed, every eye closed. I want us all to pray this prayer out loud so the, the person that really needs to pray this can be encouraged. Everybody under the sound of my voice, let's just pray this together. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I take this time and I receive the gift of Jesus Christ for the payment of my sins. I take this time to to receive Jesus into my life and I turn from my sin and I turn towards you, God. Believing that the payment for my sins were paid and that now I have a place at the table. And God, today I commit to follow you every day of the rest of my life. And I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. God, for the rest of us, 
may we understand that you've called us, those who sit at the table, to make room for other people. Doesn't matter their political differences. Doesn't matter whether it's a red state or blue state. But you've called us to make room at the table. And Jesus, this morning, we thank you for the gift of salvation. And we thank you for that place at the table as we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Stand to our feet.
set me free Christ my Savior You rescued me We sing that together one more time Thank you Jesus You set me Keep them from seeing Jesus. 